All right. We're about to get started here. Good evening to you all. It's good to see you all this evening and those who are watching us on Facebook tonight. For those who joined us, we've been studying through the book of Judges. We've gone in the last three years. We started Bible study back in the book of Genesis back in 2020. And we went through Genesis, and then we went through Exodus, we went through Leviticus, we went through Numbers, we've gone through Deuteronomy, and we did Joshua, and now we are in Judges. The Lord is good. We've, we've studied Scripture faithfully, chapter by chapter, section by section, seeing God's story unfold, and that is what scripture is about the bible is about god it is not about us it is for us but it is about god and i'm grateful that uh our church is committed to doing expository preaching and expository bible studies uh no one has groaned about it uh, our church since we uh planted back in september of 2010 Wednesday nights we've had Bible study, you know, with with a few exceptions. You know, we usually take off the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and maybe a couple other occasions. But we always meet on Wednesday night to study the Word of God together. And that is such a blessing in perseverance and ministry. A lot of churches don't do Bible study anymore. Or when they have Bible study, they don't actually study the Bible. Some of them is just a glorified Sunday service. But we like to dig into the word of God to know God more. Because the more we know God, the more we know about God, his character and his nature and his work. Uh, as he has revealed himself in the word, the more we know God, the more we love God, the more we love God, the more we worship him. So that is why we are committed to studying through the Bible together. And on Sunday mornings, of course, we preach through books. Uh, right now we're going through the book of Colossians. Uh, we've done Exodus. We've done Galatians. We've done John's gospel. We've done uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Uh, the other books we, we've done First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, the book of Jude. Uh, we, we've done a lot of book studies here at our church. Uh, so we thank the Lord. Our very first Bible study actually was the book of Acts. We started our church in September of 2010. We started studying through the book of Acts. So all that to say, we thank the Lord for faithful expository Bible teaching here at the Living Church. And we thankful, we're thankful for those who are joining us in here in the sanctuary and on Facebook. So tonight we're going to be in Judges, the 11th and 12th chapter. And we're going to look at this time the life of Jephthah. Jephthah, he is the next judge up on the docket. And he is another son of, of Gideon. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our church's commitment to studying scripture. Lord, I ask you for your help tonight that you fill me with your spirit to teach 
these chapters well, teach your word well. And Lord, may we know about you, your character, and your nature better so that we can better serve you and better obey you. And Lord, send your spirit to illuminate the text, the truth to all of us tonight who are hearing it here in this assembly and online through Facebook. Lord, enrich us and bless us by your word. Convict us of our sins. Lead us to a heart of repentance. And Lord, restore our joy by your spirit through your word. In Christ's name, amen. So as we customarily ever to do, we go through sections of these chapters, these historical narratives, as they are called. So we're going to get the introduction of Jephthah here in the first few verses of chapter 11 of Judges. So it says here, now Jephthah, the Gileadite, so that means he was from Gilead, was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Jephthah, and, Je and Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. So Jephthah is introduced as a, as a brave and noble man. But his pedigree was not good. His pedigree meaning like where he came from wasn't good. Why? Because his mother was a, a harlot. And a harlot in ancient Hebrew culture was a common heathen prostitute. That means that she wasn't even a Jew. She didn't worship Yahweh. So his mother was a common heathen prostitute so that means that he didn't come from a good noble pedigree at all so what happened as a result of that when his other brothers grew up with him because they had the same father but they had different mothers okay he his mother was a a prostitute but the other man's mothers wouldn't uh, mother the other man's mother were not his other brothers so that's why they say you should have no inheritance in our father's house for you are the son of another woman. So they didn't have the same mom. They were, you know, as we say, stepbrothers, which is not really a good biblical term. You have the same father, then you are brothers. You're not a stepbrother or a stepsister. But they basically disinherited him, although he was a man of valor. So he was rejected by his family because of his illegitimate ancestry. So he grew up in the area that would be modern day Syria. This is where this is located. This is the modern day Syria. If you look up at a map of the Middle East, Syria is in that same area where, where Iran and Lebanon and all that is up above and around Israel. Okay? So he went to live in this area. So it says he was rejected by his family. But guess what? God had blessed this man. God had blessed this man. So he was rejected by his family. God blessed and used him. Because if you look in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, God made choice of such this man 
to be the deliverer of his people. Okay? So he was registered among the other famous people for their faith. So if you look at Hebrews, the 11th chapter, you will see his name listed as a deliverer of the Lord's people. So worthless as he may have seen, guess what? God still used this man. God still used him. So what does this tell us? No matter how our birth may be, no matter where we came from, no matter our circumstances, no matter how we were born, God can still use us. And when I say his name was mentioned, not his name by name, but the fact that how he was born didn't matter because God still used him as we're going to see to deliver his people. If you think about everybody in scripture, pretty much because all of them were sinners. Okay. Think about Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. She's listed in the genealogy of Christ. Here in Hebrews 11, it says Hebrews 11 and 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Verse 32 of Hebrews 11. And what more shall we say, the writer says, for the time will fail me to tell of Gideon. Let me read about Gideon and Barak. And Samson, which we're going to read about next after we finish these two chapters. And Jephthah. So he is named among the faithful in the Hall of Fame of Faith. The man who was born to a harlot. Think about that. He is esteemed in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, with those other people. He's esteemed along with such names as Moses and Abraham. And David and Joseph and Jacob and Isaac. This man born of a harlot. God, thank God that he doesn't judge us or determine our being based on how we were born. What a great God we serve, right? He does it despite that, despite our beginnings, despite how we grew up. Despite how we were even conceived. So Jephthah. God still used him. To be a deliverer. Of. His people. Okay. So he fled from his brothers. And dwelt in the land of Tob again. Like I said. He was rejected by his family. But he was accepted by God. So that's one thing. Now. God raised him up and we're going to see that God gave him his spirit and he employed this man to deliver his people in the hour of need. That is how great God is and that is how merciful God is. So what did he do when he fled? He said worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. It almost seems like he was a, a, a uh, it was like a band of 
of criminals like <laughs> they were bandits going out and just causing havoc but that's not what this meant they probably went around protecting cities and uh, protecting uh, Israel settlements from their enemies that's most likely uh, what they were doing so trouble is on the horizon because the Ammonites are causing trouble with Israel so let's look at verses 4 through 8 so it says it came to pass at the time that the people of Ammon made war with Israel so Ammon the Ammonites the, the despised Ammonites that Israel was supposed to subdue was now causing problems they became a thorn in their flesh this reminds me of what God told Israel that if you don't drive these nations away they will become thorns in your flesh and we see this taking place here with the Ammonites so the people of Ammon made war against Israel and the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah and they said to him come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon so this is what Jephthah said to them listen this is so funny when I was reading this I was like I was chuckling did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house why have you come to me now when you're in distress so in other words you hated me before so why, 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 why you want me now to help you you didn't, you didn't you know you didn't think I could help you before this was the wrong attitude but that's what he said and the elders of Gilead, Gilead said to him this is why we have turned again to you now that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead so the Ammonites again were causing trouble now this is the thing about the Ammonites the Ammonites are the descendants of Abraham's nephew Lot remember the story Lot, Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah and his wife and, and, and the angel came at the door and wanted to be with be you know do some things with the daughters and all that stuff and and, and angel of the Lord protected them and God told them to flee and told them not to look back and you know Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt and all that was left was Lot and his daughters and since it was just them both his daughters got him drunk and you know slept with them and and he conceived two children one of them was being army which is uh which the Ammonites came from. So this nation that God wanted to be destroyed and that were enemies of Israel came from a descendant of Abraham. Lot was Abraham's nephew. So this shows you the extent of sin. It's not a generational curse, so to speak, but it shows you the consequences of sin. Okay? So these Ammonites, these same people were descendants of Lot, of Abraham's nephew. So Jephthah did take the wrong attitude when he asked, why have you come to me now when you are in distress? But they still pleaded, come and be our commander that we may fight against Ammon. So the leaders of Gilead were desperate for an able leader. Because remember, the scripture says at the beginning that Jephthah was what? A mighty man of valor. So they knew that he was a good man of war. Yeah, they were wrong for, you know, basically dissing him because his mother was a prostitute. They were wrong for that. Okay. 
But these men still pleaded for him, help us. Gilead could have said, no, I'm not going to do it. But look at what the scripture says. Verse 9. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of, uh, of Gilead said to him, the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not according to our words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head over and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord. Okay, so Jephthah was only willing to assume leadership in the crisis if he remained a leader after the crisis. He didn't want just, them to just use him just for that moment and then cast him to the side. Okay, he didn't want to be rejected again as a worthless man. Okay, so he spoke all his words before the Lord. So now. Excuse me, when it says spoke all his words for the Lord, that basically means that he, he made a vow. Okay. So, verse 12 through 13, Jephthah negotiates with the king of the Ammonites. So he sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, Why, what do you have against me that you may come to fight against me and my land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as Jabbok into the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore those lands peaceably. So these Ammonites wanted their land back. But guess what? They weren't going to get it. So this Ammonite ruler was claiming rights to the lands that were occupied by the Israelites that God had given to them. Okay. Now the problem is that Israel had been there for 300 years. And God had chosen to give these lands to them. And it was entitled to Israel. So this was Israel's land that God gave them to possess. So Jephthah asked a simple question. Why are you in our land? <laughs> basically and they said because Israel took away the land so Ammon gave a simple reply he says they were in Israel because it was really their own land and Israel took it from them unjustly that's what they're claiming so what did Jephthah do verse 14 this is kind of the longest section here he sent messages to the king of the people of Ammon and said to him thus says Jephthah Israel did not take away the land of Moab nor the land of the people of Ammon. And then he gives a story about when Israel came up out of Egypt. So he's recalling that in verse 16. They came up from Egypt. They walked through the wilderness and came to uh, Kadesh. And they sent messages to the king of Edom. So this is what happened. Israel has sent messages to Edom to have passage to go through Edom. But Edom didn't let them. That's what the scripture says here. And this is something else to note. Let me get to that first. Verse 18. They went through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab. And came to the east side of the land of Moab. And encamped on the other side of Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab. For the Arnon was on the border of Moab. Okay. So Edom wouldn't let them around. Because it says back in verse 
17, the king of Edom would not heed. And then it says here again in verse 17, the king of Moab, he would not consent. So the king of the Moabites and the king of the Edomites would not let Israel pass through them going through the wilderness to the promised land. So they had to circle around. Okay, it would be like if we're headed from Jacksonville to Oxford, straight down 21, and the city of Anderson says, no, you cannot come through our city. So you got to go all the way around. Let's say you got to get on 204 to 431 and then come all the way down, take, uh, what is it, Bynum Leatherwood Road and all that just to get around to Oxford instead of going straight down Quintard. Making it a shorter route. So the king of Ammon and the king of Moab didn't give them that passage. So verse 19 says, Then Israel sent messages to Sihon, king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon, and said to him, Let us go through into your place. But guess what? Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and encamped in Jahaz and fought against Israel. So Israel encountered all this opposition when they came out of Egypt. All these pagan lands did not let them through. And in verse 21 says, The Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all the peoples of the land into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. And Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited in that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. So God had gave them all that land. Now this is a footnote here that I wanted to mention. He talked about Edom, the Edomites. Okay. This is back in, I'm um, trying to look back at the verse that the Edomites were at that was uh, mentioned. Okay, verse 17, the king of Edom. You know who the Edomites are? The Edomites are the descendants of Esau. You know, Esau and Jacob. Okay? Of course, Jacob was who the line went through, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had the 12 sons of Israel. The Edomites came from Esau. Remember, Esau hated his brother. I mean, he finally forgave him, but uh, Esau's line were the Edomites. And the Edomites became enemies of Israel. Just as the Ammonites became enemies of Israel. But guess what? They were all related to Abraham. Because Jacob... And Esau, let me see, Abraham gave birth to Isaac. Isaac gave birth to Jacob and Esau. So that means Jacob and Esau were Abraham's grandchildren, grandsons. One was the, the one that the uh, inheritance, the promise went through, and the other one it didn't go through. And the other one ended up being the progenitor of the line that ended up hating their own relatives, basically, the Edomites. Think about that. So that's where Edom came from. So you have all this confusion that has taken place throughout all these hundreds of years. That's why we had all this turmoil going on with Israel during that time with these other nations. 
But these nations were pagans. They did not worship Yahweh like Israel did. They were not God's covenant people. So God gave his people possession of all these lands because he had promised his land to them through Abraham. But now the Amorites come and say, hey, no, <laughs> you know, this is our land. And so what Jephthah did was recalled the history of all of this. Okay. So Israel didn't take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon in verse 15, as he says. They didn't do that. Israel already had the land. So he went through all that to show that it was not rightfully their land. Israel had this land, he said, for 300 years. That's a long time. It's not like they had it for five years or, or 10 years. No, they had this land for 300 years. Because look at verse 23. And now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you, should you then possess it? Of course, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Will you not possess whatever Kamash your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord God has taken possession of before us, we will possess. In other words, get over yourselves. God had given them this land. So they had no right to this land at all. So he says, will you not possess whatever Kamash your God gives you to possess? And guess what? Kamash their God could do nothing. Look at verse 26. While Israel dwelt in Heshbon in his villages and Aroer, rather, and his villages and in all the cities among the banks of Arnon for 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? In other words, you had 300 years to get this land back. Ammon, you had 300 years. And he was saying this to say that Kamash was not greater than the God of Israel. Because their God, Kamash, could not give them land. Again, look back at verse 24. Will you not possess whatever Kamash your God gives you to possess? And the answer is obvious no, because guess what? Israel had been in this land for 300 years. So he's saying, why did you recover it then? And look at verse 27. Therefore, I have not sinned against you. But you wronged me by fighting against me because it was Ammon who had attacked Israel. It was Ammon. Look at verse 4 again. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon did what? Made war against Israel. So who started it? Ammon. Now they're crying, oh, give us our land back. It is ours. Well, guess what, Ammon? You had 300 years to get this land back. So Jephthah says in verse 27 again, therefore I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between 
the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah sent him. Uh oh. So those are fighting words. So basically what Jephthah was saying was that, you know, if your God is mighty enough to give you the land, then let him do it. Let's see who's stronger, Yahweh or Chemosh. And we know who's stronger, Yahweh, the covenant God. Yahweh is the covenant name of God in, in the Old Testament. Who's the mightier God? Our God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God is mightier than any of our little idols that we manufacture. That's the principle to learn from this. All of our idols are weak. All the people that we esteem as idols, guess what? They're weak. Why? Because they die. They're mortal men. They're mere mortals. They're, they don't walk on water. They can't deliver us from our sins. They cannot pay the price for our sins. They didn't die in our place for our sins. Only our God did that through his son, Jesus Christ. God is mightier than any idol that we manufacture. He's mightier than any idol that people may worship. He's mightier than these people who try to put hexes on folks. Who try to cast spells. We have no reason to fear that. Why? Because our God is mightier. Our God is not impotent. And Israel covenant God. The same God. Is mightier. So Jephthah didn't see this battle. As, as, as between two armies. He saw this battle basically. Between the God of Israel. And the false God of Ammon. He saw that this was a. Spiritual God. A spiritual battle rather. Now. Kamash was generally the God of the Moabites. But he was still a weak God. And you know what this shows us? We are in a spiritual battle. We are in spiritual warfare as Christians. What did Paul say in Ephesians 6 again? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places we are in a spiritual warfare it is the god of the bible versus all the other false gods it is the god and father of our lord jesus christ against all of the other false gods the false ideologies the false worldviews the false philosophies of the world it is our god against all of them and guess what our god is greater our god is mightier our god is stronger We are in spiritual warfare in this world. But guess what? We are in God. And God is in us through his spirit. And we have nothing to fear. Israel had nothing to fear in here. Why? Because Yahweh was mightier than Chemosh. So now. Jephthah does something bad here. Does something stupid. He made a foolish vow, but God gave him victory. 
So look at here, verses 29 through 33. So then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Now, Jephthah again was born of a what? Prostitute. But God still found worthy to fill him with his spirit for this task. So the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and Mizpah of Gilead and so forth and so on. And now look at verse 30. He made this vow <clears throat> to the Lord. If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon to my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Think about that. When he comes back home from battle, whatever comes out the door first, whether it's an animal or a person, what is he going to do? Offer them up as a what? Burnt sacrifice. Think about that. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he defeated them. And it gives the rest of that. The people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. That's the end of verse 33. So the spirit of the Lord came upon him. So who was the source of Jephthah's courage? The spirit of the Lord. And guess what? The spirit of the Lord can be cursed for us, well, uh, us as well. We have the spirit of God in us as believers. All of us do. All of us are filled with the spirit. So guess what? God gives us the courage to stand against our enemies. And stand against his enemies. When we are beset by fears and anxieties and worries, guess what? We need to look to the Holy Spirit who lies within us. We don't have to ask for him. He's already there. We don't say, Lord, we don't have to say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Guess what? We already have his spirit by, by faith in Christ. We're able to face our enemies. Okay. Now, since we have the spirit, he makes us advance. We go forward in the sense of spiritual progress toward confronting the enemies of God, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The spirit of God who lives in all of us as believers gives us the power to do that. We thank the Lord for the third person of the Trinity who does that for us. But the scripture says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen. So what did he do? He made that vow. <laughs> it was a, it was a very rash vow. Okay. It was a foolish vow. You know, some, some, sometimes like vows like this that Jephthah made, they can be made to try to try to manipulate God or put God on obligation to ourselves. But we can't do that. This was a spirit-filled man at this moment, but he did a foolish thing. Now, the Holy Spirit does not overwhelm and control us. He guides us. Now, we can resist his guide. But he does guide us. And there's no need for us to bribe God. 
as Jephthah tried to do. Because guess what God does out of his heart and his love for his people? God freely out of his own heart of love helps and delivers us in time of need. I was reading Psalm 134 this morning. I mean, Psalm 34 again this morning, where it said, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all his fears. That is the compassion of God toward his, his children, his people, those who are his uh, through faith. We don't have to try to bribe God. Lord, if you, do, if you deliver me from this, I promise you, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. We made those rash vows to God before. No, we don't need to do that. That's foolish. We don't need to try to bribe God. You know what I mean? No, woe unto us if we try to do that. No need. Talking about whatever comes out of my house. Now, he didn't have a human sacrifice in mind. He did not have a human sacrifice in mind. He had an animal sacrifice in mind. Now, we have to understand, human sacrifice was strictly forbidden by the Mosaic law. Leviticus 18 and 21 says, you should not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Moloch. Deuteronomy 12 and 31 says, you should not worship, I'm sorry, you should not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abomination to the Lord which he hates. They have done, they have done to their gods for they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. We're not to do that. So God did give them victory. So look at verse 34. Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah. And guess what? Who came out the door? His daughter. What did he tell God? Lord, when I get home, whatever comes out the door, I will offer them up to you. So guess who came out the door? His daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dances so she was celebratory had a little tambourine or whatever you know celebrating she had no idea of this vow that her dad made <laughs> oh boy he did not consider the consequences of it so <laughs> and she was his only child He was the only child. So he was giving up his line of descendants. Besides her, he had no son, neither son nor daughter. Wow. And it came to pass when he saw her that he did what? Tore his clothes. Tearing your clothes was a sign of sorrow, a sign of, uh, of uh, anger. And grief, regret. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. <laughs> you are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord and I cannot go back on it. Wow. He shouldn't open his big mouth, right? He made a foolish vow, sincerely intending to keep it, but he did not consider the consequences of that vow. We're not to make hasty vows before God. Mm. 
His oath was foolish, but he should not have kept it. He had no right to punish or afflict his daughter. He could have reneged on that vow. Man, this is something. It was one thing to make and keep that vow when he believed that a cow or a sheep would come out of the house. But when his daughter came out, he basically said, I made a foolish vow. Now, what he should have done was repent for his foolish vow. Not commit, be more sinful. He should have repented. But he did not do that. And this is what Charles Spurgeon said about this verse. He had made a rash vow and such things are much better broken than kept. If a man makes a vow to commit a crime, his vow to do so is in itself a sin. And the carrying out of his vow will be doubly sin. So this man committed a double sin, basically. Spurgeon continues, if a man's vowing to do a thing made it necessary and right for him to do it, then the whole moral law might be suspended by the mere act of vowing. For a man might vow to steal, to commit adultery, or to murder, then say, I was right in all those acts because I vowed to do them. This is self-evidently absurd, and to admit such a principle would be to destroy all morality. So he should have bagged out of fulfilling that vow. And just repenting instead of going through with it, in other words. Now, Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon talks about that. He says, walk prudently when you go into the house of God and draw near to here rather than give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. And let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So these are the wise words of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't speak rashly. You know how people brag a lot and boast a lot and everything? They start feeling themselves, but we're not to do that. Christians, we need to take seriously, excuse me, the sin of broken vows. So what happens? He fulfills his vow to God. Verse 36 through 40. So she said to him. My father if you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me according to what. Has gone out of your mouth. Because the Lord has avenged you. Of your enemies the people of Ammon. And she told her father. Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months. That I may go and wander on the mountains. And bewail my virginity. My friends and I. So she was a virgin. She was lamenting when it says bewail. She was going to lament her virginity. Why? Because she was going to die a virgin. And it says, and, and it was so. I'm sorry. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of two months, she returned to her father. He carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. Mm -mm -mm. 
That's something. Let's say it. Let's say it. Now, we don't know if he offered his daughter as a burnt offering or not. But the point of this principle is not to make foolish vows before the Lord. But the fact that she knew no man meant that she didn't have a husband. She was probably given to tabernacle service or something like that, but she could not know a man. She remained a, a perpetual virgin. So he sent his, his unmarried only daughter to the service of the tabernacle for the rest of her life. Isn't that sad? But that was because he made a rash vow. This mighty man of valor, this man who was filled with the spirit of God to go against battle, go, go to battle against the Ammonites, guess what? He reacted foolishly. And this shows us that even us as believers, guess what? We can act foolishly sometimes too. We can make rash vows. We can say things, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said, uh, out of haste. We can say things in anger and not really mean it. We can tell someone I hate you, which is actually murder. Jesus said that in, in Matthew, the fifth chapter. You speak evil against someone, you, you're, you're in essence murdering them. You can make, make rash vows, say things without even thinking. It's the same principle as making a rash vow. You're just spouting out things. Some people talk like that. They just, they just say stuff, not even thinking about it or giving thought to their words. And sometimes the consequences can be real bad. And there was this case with Jephthah. Jephthah was not going to have any seed to come after him because he made this vow. And his daughter could never marry. She had to remain a virgin. So he had no children. He had no grandchildren. Rather, he had no grandchildren. So in chapter 12 here, just a short thing here. Now he has a conflict with Ephraim. First it was the Ammonites, and now it's Ephraim. This is a short chapter. So the men of Ephraim gathered together and crossed over towards Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go down with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. Wow. Okay. So this was, the, this was their own people. This is the tribe of Ephraim. They felt slighted by Jephthah and were angry that they didn't uh, have a central role in defeating the Ammonites. And you know this shows how sinful our human hearts are? Because that can be a tendency with us sometimes to, to not want to do a job unless we receive credit for it. Our hearts can be that way. Ephraim was more concerned with getting credit than seeing a job well done. We could be guilty of the same thing. So what did Jephthah say in his response to them in verse 2 and 3? My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon, and when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver, I took my life in my hands and crossed over to the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why have you come up this day to fight against me? So guess what? He said, you know, when I called, 
you didn't come and help. So why are you upset at me? The Lord was with me. So the Gileadites here in verses 4 through 6, they overwhelmed the people of the tribe of Ephraim. So now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because he said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. Now these were all fellow Israelites fighting against each other. They went to war against each other. And that's sad. 42,000 Ephraimites died. Look at verse 6. 42,000. 42,000 died. Mm -mm -mm. These are sinners. These are sinners. So now, the remainder of Jephthah's time is judged, verse 7. Jephthah judged Israel six years. So a lot happened in six years. He died and was buried in the cities of Gilead. So when we summarize Jephthah's life, he was a man of valor. He was born to a prostitute. But yet God still filled him with his spirit. <coughs> to go to war and defeat his enemies. As I said earlier, God uses whomever he pleases. He uses whomever he pleases. It doesn't matter the circumstances of your birth, where you grew up, where you came from. It doesn't matter. Your pedigree doesn't matter. God uses whomever he pleases because he's the sovereign Lord. And also we see not making rash and harsh I'm sorry, rash vows and, and just saying things without thinking about them because the consequences can be greater than we think. One thing about sin, people, we don't know what the consequences of our sins are. We think we know, but we have no control over them. Only God does. So we have to be really careful about that. And again, we see the mercy and compassion of God, the willingness of God to use those who seem to be outcasts, those who seem to be the lowly, God uses. And that is how salvation is. God chose us to be saved. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were unworthy. The Bible says there's none who does good, no, not one. No one is a worthy candidate for salvation. No one can walk up to say God and say, God, I'm, 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 I'm so good. I'm so useful to you. You need me. No, we go to God and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. No one is worthy of God saving them. It is by Christ's worth and his work that we are saved not because of anything that we've done, not because of what we think we're worth. Because God doesn't need us. We need him. God doesn't even depend on us. God depends on himself. That's the, what we call the divine simplicity that, that God is one in and of himself. He doesn't have parts. He doesn't depend on anything outside of himself. 
or anyone outside of himself. That, that's uh, the doctrine of divine simplicity, that God is simple, meaning he is one. He doesn't have parts and he doesn't have different aspects of him. He is altogether God. He has no need for us. So the fact that God chose Jephthah, born of a prostitute, is an act of God's pure mercy. Because in man's eyes, guess what? He wasn't worthy. But in God's eyes, we're always worthy. Amen? Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that though we are not worthy in and of ourselves, Lord, our worth comes from being in you. Our worth comes from being in Christ by faith in him and worship of him. Lord, when we see Jephthah, we can see ourselves that all of us are unworthy. But Lord, it is you who makes us worthy. We don't make ourselves worthy. As your word says, it is you who made us and not we ourselves. It is you who saved us, Lord, not we ourselves. It is you, Lord, who makes us worthy and not we ourselves. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this study tonight. I pray, Lord, that you refresh us by your word, by your spirit. Until we meet on the Lord's day, may the grace of the Lord be with us all. Amen.